Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. Uh, I hope that you have a copy of God's Word. If you do, go ahead and turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is where uh, we will be today. Uh, And as we get started, I just want to say happy Mother's Day uh, to all of the moms in the room. Uh, It is uh, no understatement to say that we would not be here without you. Uh, So we uh, we are grateful for you today. Uh, and we want to, uh, the Bible tells us to honor uh, where honor is due. And so uh, we honor you here this morning. Uh, now, every Sunday, it's all about Jesus, um, but we are excited uh, to get to celebrate you as well. And uh, what we also know is that today, uh, for, uh, for many of you in this room, uh, is a difficult day. Uh, it's a difficult day uh, for what is not yet. Uh, it's a difficult day maybe for what was it can be a difficult day for any number of reasons. And so here's what, if that's you, here's what I want you to know. Uh, you have been prayed for uh, this morning, uh, that we, we love you, we care for you. And uh, just like we sang just a minute ago, uh, that uh, he is faithful, he was faith, faithful then, um, we, uh, we want to keep singing that. Uh, and I hope that you believe that, and I hope that you know that this morning that God is faithful. Uh, and so uh, maybe this morning is not a morning of celebrating. It's a, a morning uh, where uh, you feel the weight uh, of what you don't have or what you're missing. Know this, that the Lord is right there next to you, that he's near to the brokenhearted, uh, and we are as well. So we love you, and we're glad that you are here. Um, so Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. We've been walking our way through the book of Ephesians. And uh, this morning we're actually supposed to be in Ephesians 5, but I figured uh, let's skip forward just one week. Uh, Ephesians 6 has to do uh, with parenting. Uh, and I know that today uh, parenting is on many of our minds. And so uh, it would make sense that we would be in this place today. And so uh, maybe as you're turning to Ephesians 6 or, or you're already there, I-, I want you to think about these statements and maybe what they have in common. Uh, The first uh, is that the Beatles played a small role in the history of music in America. Uh, The second is that uh, Michael Jordan was a decent basketball player. And the third is that parenting can be challenging. Now, maybe you're you're asking yourself, what do all three of those things have in common? Well, they are all great understatements, right? The Beatles did not play a small role. They played a huge role in the history of rock and roll. Michael Jordan is not just decent at basketball. He is the greatest basketball player to ever live, much better than LeBron James. And parenting... uh, parenting. All right, if y'all clap for that, man, this is going to be a good, all right, you got to clap for Jesus too. Uh, so, uh, 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 and parenting, right? Parenting isn't just challenging. Parenting is hard. Parenting is hard work, but it is worth it. Uh, I have been a dad uh, for 10 years. Nora made me a dad 10 years ago. Uh, she bet me that I couldn't get her name into the sermon uh, this morning. And so, uh, but I have been a dad for, uh, for 10 years. And what I know is that there is nothing more rewarding. There is nothing more exciting. There is nothing better than being a parent. While at the same time, there is nothing more humbling. There's nothing more difficult. Uh, there's nothing more challenging than being a parent. And all we can feel all of those emotions in the same hour sometimes, right? All of those emotions uh, in the same, the same day. And so uh, I am grateful that the Lord has not said, hey, I want you to be a parent that brings honor to me. Now go figure it out. 
but instead in his word, he has told us exactly what does it look like to parent for God's glory? Uh, What does it look like to parent with the gospel in view? And so that's what we want to think about this morning. And as we uh, we turn our attention here to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Uh, Here's what we're going to see this morning, that the gospel shapes parenting and families in simple but serious ways. The gospel shapes parenting and families in simple but serious ways. Now, you may be here this morning and you may say, I'm single. Uh, You may say, I I don't have children. You might even say, uh, my kids are out of the house. Well, here's what I want you to know. Uh, If you are single or you don't have children, uh, the Principles that Paul shows us here in Ephesians 6 apply to every area of life. Every relationship that you have, you can take these principles. They might look a little different, but you can apply them uh, to every area of your life. And uh, you you might say, well, Ethan, I'm an empty nester. My kids don't live at home anymore. Uh, Well, that is all the more reason for you to be here because just because you are an empty nester does not mean that you are no longer parenting. Uh, And so here in Ephesians 6, we see this truth that the gospel shapes parenting and families in simple but serious ways. So look with me here at Ephesians 6. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. Uh, Starting in verse 1 of chapter 6, we read this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me for God's mercy today? Uh, Lord, we need your grace and your mercy even now. Father, we need it not just for life, but we need it to hear and to see what you would have us to see and hear in your word. And so, Lord, uh, we pray now that you would speak to us. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. As we look at Ephesians 6, we see two ways that the gospel shapes parenting and families. And the first is this, is that obedience is rooted in a gospel promise. Uh, obedience is rooted in a gospel promise. Now, obedience can be a scary word, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, there is a freedom that comes to obedience, but oftentimes when we think about obedience, we think about obedience for thee, but not for me, right? That we want them to obey, uh, but I, uh, I might get off. If you, uh, you need to check your heart on this, well, then you can just ask yourself, what do you say when you see someone get pulled over for a speeding ticket? If you're like me, I think, man, I'm so great that law enforcement are keeping our roads safe, but, and this doesn't happen often, whenever I get pulled over, I think I really wasn't going that fast, was I, right? I really don't deserve this. And so, We know that obedience can sometimes have a negative connotation in our culture, but here's what I want you to know, that for the Christian, obedience is good news. Uh, Obedience is where we find freedom. And so uh, Paul here, he is calling not just children to obey their parents, but he's calling believers to obey their God. Now, we pick up here in Ephesians 6 and the kind of on the tail end of a larger argument that Paul has been making, starting about halfway through Ephesians 5 on to here. And so uh, earlier in Ephesians 5, he has uh, 
turned his attention to how the gospel applies to families. And so we saw last week that the first three chapters of Ephesians have to do with gospel truth. The last three chapters have to do with gospel living. And so uh, in Ephesians 5, he starts addressing, well, well, what does the gospel have to say? What does the cross of Jesus have to say uh, to husbands and wives and then to parents and children? And he builds his entire case off of a a verse, really, uh, it's almost like a sentence fragment here in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, where he calls Christians to, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he, he implicitly asks this question, well, what does it mean for Christians to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? And he says, let me show you when it comes to husbands and wives. And then here he says, let me show you when it comes to parents and children. Now, look at verse 1 of Ephesians 6 with me. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He starts off by telling us exactly who he is addressing, that he's addressing children. And so uh, some of you are reading this verse and you're saying, I hope this is what Mary is teaching in Central Kids today, right? That that my kids need to hear this. Well, here's an interesting thing about this verse. There are two words that can be used for children. Uh, The first word speaks of, uh, of young children, speaks of children the way that you and I might think of it, those living at home, those in school, or whatever it may be. That's not the word that is used here in verse one. Uh, The word that is used here in verse one is speaking to anyone with a parent, speaking to adults and to minors, whoever it may be. So whenever we read children, obey your parents, if you're like me, I typically think, man, uh, my kids need to memorize this verse. Uh, But what I'm learning is, man, maybe I need to memorize this verse, right? That, That Paul is speaking not just to them, but he's speaking to me. He's speaking to us as well. Now, this is interesting because it wasn't uncommon in Greco-Roman world for philosophers and teachers to address the family. But when they would address the family, they would address mothers and fathers, and that's really where it would end. They would address marriage, but then they would leave parenting for you to figure out on your own. What Paul shows us here is that the resurrection changes everything. That the gospel informs and transforms every area of life, even parenting. And so the gospel isn't just for your eternity. The gospel is for your life right now. Jesus, in his resurrection, has something to say to you about parenting and about being parented. That Jesus on the cross... And in his resurrection, that he came to make all things new, including the way that you and I parent. Now, he says here in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's, there's nothing really all that profound about that statement, is there? We know just from nature that children should listen to their parents. That is the, the right thing to do. But notice what Paul doesn't say here, he doesn't say, children, obey your parents if they're Christians. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents if you agree with them. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now that phrase, in the Lord, that modifies our obedience, not parents. This is that our obedience is to be practiced in the Lord. It's to be done in such a way that we bring honor and glory to him. See, there were many in Paul's audience that probably had unbelieving parents. 
In fact, remember when this is written. Paul is writing at the dawn of Christianity. He is writing early in this movement of Jesus followers. And so we can assume with great confidence that there were many, maybe even most of Paul's audience had parents who were not following Jesus, had parents who were not believers. Paul, knowing this, he says, look, obey your parents because this is the right thing to do. This call to obedience is a call to honor. Now in verses two and three, we get this gospel promise that roots our obedience. Look at verse two. He quotes Exodus 20, verse 12. This is the fifth commandment. And he says, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And then in verse three, we read that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Notice this connection between obedience and honor. Paul says, children, obey your parents. And then uh, to give weight or to give support to that, he says, honor them. Right? If you're going to obey them, obedience begins with honor. Now, notice that there's no expiration date on this command. Now, it might look different at different times and in different seasons, but it never expires. But Paul doesn't say, children, obey your parents until you graduate high school. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents until you get a real job or until you get married or until you have kids or until you're 35 or whatever it may be. No, he says, children, obey your parents because this is right. Honor your father and your mother. And so it's easy, it's maybe even tempting sometimes uh, to think that, that, well, this command to honor your father and your mother, that it ends at a certain point. I was a student pastor for about five years. I was a student pastor just long enough to know that I should not be a student pastor. And I, I was there just long enough to know this is not for me. But I would have conversations regularly with students who would say things like, I can't wait till I graduate high school. And then I, I don't have to listen to them anymore. I, I can't wait until this happens. And then I won't have to listen to them. And then I would have college students who would say, I just can't wait till I can get a job and, and get out from underneath their roof so that I can, uh, I can be my own man. And I would tell them, can you show me in scripture where it says that there's ever a time where you stop honoring? Can you show me in scripture a time where it ever says that you are to not obey your parents? We've already said that, that this obedience and this honoring, it's going to look different, different times and different season. And this obedience is to be marked by, by obedience in the Lord. And so we obey to the point that we can honor God. But there's no expiration date on this command. And verse two ends, Paul gives this interpretive comment and what he's doing is he's drawing attention to this promise. At the end of verse two, he says, honor your father and mother. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. What is the promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. See, Paul wants to draw the attention to this promise because it's intended to cause hope and cheerfulness and obedience. See, genuine obedience, whether it be in this command or any other command, springs from joy and pleasure, not misery and sadness. If you are miserable in obeying Jesus, well, it's one of two options. It's either you have misunderstood what Jesus has said, or you do not know Jesus. 
See, obedience is a fruit of God's work in your life. And so it is a privilege to get to obey Jesus. It is an honor to get to obey him. And so real obedience, it springs from joy and pleasure. See, there's blessing and obedience. And this blessing and obedience, what Paul says here, he says the blessing and obedience isn't just for parents. Right? Sometimes we think about children obeying and we think, man... You're blessed because your kids listen. You're blessed because your kids are well-behaved. But there's a blessing for children as well that, that we read in Exodus 20 and that we see here. And it's this promise. This promise that it would go well and that our days would be long in the land. It's, it's really two parts. First, he says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. This idea of it going well with you is this idea of general prosperity. This is a general promise towards prosperity. Now, some of us hear this uh, prosperity and our ears perk up and we think, well, that means I'm gonna be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Well, that is not what prosperity always means, right? Prosperity doesn't look one way. Uh, prosperity can look very different. In fact, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will be rich, right? That this prosperity, this is a promise to general prosperity. And there's a second promise. He says that they will live long in the land. Now, Paul does something interesting here. Paul would have known his Old Testament very well. He would have known the Ten Commandments forwards and backwards and up and down and all of those things. And yet Paul leaves off the last phrase of the promise from verse 12 in Exodus 20. He says, Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In Exodus, it says you may live long in the land that I am giving you. But here he leaves that, that I am giving you off. He, he, he doesn't put it in there. So you remember that Paul's writing under the new covenant and this, this land that he's promising here, that, that he's picking up from Exodus 20 and bringing here, that this land is not a piece of real estate. This land is eternal life. But understand this, that this eternal life, it, it isn't purchased by our obedience, but by the obedience of Jesus Christ. This was the same in Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we think about the Ten Commandments, and we think about the Ten Commandments as this list of things, this list of rules, this list of laws that God has given us to keep us in check, but we forget that the, the Ten Commandments, that they are given in the context of grace, right? The, the way the Ten Commandments begin is I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And so what he says here, what he says there in Exodus 20, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So what he says is, because I have saved you, this is what your life should look like. That's the way Ephesians is structured, right? The first three chapters, God has saved us. The last three chapters, here's what this should look like. And so here, this is a gospel promise that, that as we obey, because we have been accepted, that we, we will go well with us and that we will live long in the land. And when he says we will live long in the land, he's talking about eternity. Right? He's saying that we will have eternal life. But understand this, that this eternal life, it, it isn't purchased by our obedience. It's purchased by the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so here's the gospel promise. We honor our fathers and mothers, not so that we will get these promises. We honor our fathers and mothers because these promises are already ours. 
right? We just sang the song and we read the passage from 2 Corinthians 1 that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, right? That means that if you are in Christ, God's promises, every one of them applies to you because Jesus has won it for you. And so this promise to live long in the land, that it isn't dependent on you, it's dependent on Jesus. But now because Jesus has secured it for you, he lives inside of you and is at work in you to help you do just this, right? To, to help you live like and look like him. And so we honor our parents, not because of what we will get, but because of what we have already been given. Right? We honor them because Jesus has already given all that we need and all that we could ask for to us. And so understand this, that your honor or lack thereof of your parents says more about you than it does anyone else. Now, some of us have parents who make honoring them very difficult. Some of us, even today, we are dealing, you are dealing with deep, real pain. For some of you, Mother's Day is a hard day because you've got to think about either the mother that you didn't have or the, the mother that you did have. Some of us have made decisions that make it difficult for our kids to honor us. So, some of us have made decisions that that our own decisions make it difficult for us to honor our parents because we wonder, do they even want us? Do, do they even want that honor? But understand this. The gospel changes everything. The gospel shapes your family and my family in simple but serious ways. See, because of the, the love and the acceptance and the security that we have in the gospel, we can love those who don't deserve it we can give grace to those who haven't earned it because that is our story. My story is that I did not deserve God's grace and I could not earn it. And yet in his grace and his mercy, he gave exactly that to me. But he didn't do it because I was so great. No, the, the reason that any of us enjoy God's grace and God's mercy isn't because we have been so good or because we've done all the right things. It's because 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death on the cross, was buried for three days, and then rose from the grave. And when he did, he rose with a jump of victory over sin and over death. And now anyone who trusts in him by faith gets grace and freedom and forgiveness. We get his love. And so understand this, that loved and forgiven people love and forgive. Jesus tells us this in his parables, right? He tells the, the parable of the servant who's in debt to the master and the, the master forgives the debt, but then that servant goes to another servant who is in debt to him and throws him in prison because of his debt. The master finds out, says, you, you didn't understand forgiveness. See, I, I wonder if we understand forgiveness today. Forgiveness isn't easy. Our forgiveness is difficult, but when we come to Christ, we experience real forgiveness. And once we have experienced real forgiveness, 
we're ready to give real forgiveness. Not because they earned it, and maybe not even because they asked for it, but simply because that's what we have been called to. We've been called to forgive. We have been called to honor and obey. So we see the first way that the gospel shapes parenting and families is that obedience is rooted in a gospel promise. Next we see this, that parenting is practiced through a gospel lens. Parenting is practiced through a gospel lens. Worldview matters for your life. The way that you view the world, whether it be at work or at home or at play or whatever it is, the way you view the world matters because the way you view the world is ultimately going to determine, going to dictate how you live your life. Whatever you believe is true is, is going to dictate what you do. So behavior pre, or, or belief precedes behavior. Right? That what you believe dictates how you live. See, the, Paul ends here, he, he ends this quick discussion on parenting with freedom. He calls fathers to view parenting a new way. There's two ways I think that he shows us here in verse four that we can parent. We can parent out of frustration or we can parent out of freedom. And parenting out of frustration is easy, but it is never right. Now look here at verse four. He starts off and he says, fathers. Now the dads in the room are saying, this is Mother's Day, right? Uh, this, is, uh, you're, this is about the moms and the the moms in the room are elbowing a bruise into the dad's rib cage. Here's, here's what I want us to understand. Here's what I want us to know. Is that Paul is speaking to fathers for two reasons. One, at the, the cultural moment, fathers were, were expected to take the lead in their children's education and formation. But more importantly than cultural is theological. So if we, we'll see this next week when we back up into Ephesians 5, uh, that husbands were to lead. Husbands were to lead. And, and so he speaks here to fathers because he says, dads, you are to lead here. Right? You, you are to lead your family. And, and I think also he says this because he knows that, that fathers are especially susceptible to parenting out of frustration. I don't know about you, but I, I don't have that maternal instinct that my wife does. And so uh, even this week, I can't, this has been the most convicting week of my life for any sermon that I've ever had to preach because every week, I find, every day, I find myself, man, you're parenting out of frustration. You're not parenting out of freedom. And then I, I would look at my wife and I would think, man, she's, she is so much better at this than I am, right? I felt that. And so dads, maybe, maybe you have felt that this week. You know, one of our pastors, we were talking about this passage this week, and he said something. And if I could remember, if I could remember which pastor it was, I would tell you. I just can't remember which one it was. Uh, but he said this, and it, and it stuck with me. He said, you know, moms are prone to reflect on their parenting almost too much, to the point that mom guilt becomes a thing, mom shame becomes a thing. Becomes a thing. He said, the danger for dads is that we don't reflect enough. We don't think enough about our parenting. And so Paul here, he's, he's forcing us as dads, he's forcing me, he's, he's forcing you dads to, to reflect on your parenting. And so here in verse four, first we see the results of frustrated parenting. He gives us a negative command first, something, something not to do. 
He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, he's not saying to never make your kids mad. Instead, I'm convinced that if you're making your kids mad, that's just proof you're doing it right. Right? That, that sometimes you, uh, if your kids are only ever happy with you, uh, then something is not right. On that note, le- just a reminder, parents, you are not called to be your kid's best friend. Right? You are called to raise them in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And so they should be mad at you sometimes. But he doesn't say, fathers, don't ever make your kids mad. Instead... He he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't parent out of a place of frustration, parent from a place of freedom. So what does it mean to provoke your children to anger? One commentator, he, he gave a list of what this provoking could look like. I think this is helpful. He says, provoking includes things like excessively severe discipline, harsh demands, abusing authority, being unfair with unrealistic expectations, constantly nagging your children or, or seeking to humiliate them in small ways or in large ways. Aren't you glad that God the perfect father doesn't parent like that? Aren't you glad that God the perfect father has never said, what in the world are you doing? He has never said, really, again? We're here again? Why, why does this keep happening? Why do you keep, can you just not get it through your thick head? Have you noticed that, that he never does that? No, what, what does he do? He says, all you who are weak and weary, come and I'll give you rest. It, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you want the perfect picture of what the perfect parent looks like, uh, just look to the father. See, discipline isn't bad. In, in fact, Hebrews tells us that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Discipline is a sign of love, but severe discipline is not. Demanding obedience is not wrong, but being harsh about it is. Authority is a good gift that we all live under, but abusing authority is never permissible. See, we engage in these things. We provoke our children to anger when we feel provoked. When we feel frustrated, when we feel disrespected, when, when we feel like they are just pushing our buttons, we provoke them to anger when we are provoked and we might not even realize that we have been provoked or that, they, that we are provoking them. So how does this happen? Why are we susceptible to provoking our children to anger? It's pride. Pride is dangerous in parenting. See, pride ultimately leads to anger. Why? We get angry when our little kingdoms get attacked. And for so many of us, we are busy building our little kingdoms. And we would like to say, well, they're selfless kingdoms and we're benevolent dictators. But the truth is, is that we are busy building our own little kingdoms and conflict happens when someone else's kingdom rubs up against my kingdom. See, it's not just dads and moms that build their own little kingdoms, but it's sons and daughters do as well. It's coworkers, it's friends, it's neighbors. That we are engaged in kingdom building activity. The problem is we're building the wrong kingdom. And so when our convenience, our comfort, or our reputation is threatened by our kids' behavior and actions, we become defensive. 
I just wanted to sit down. I haven't sat down all day. Can't you just wait? I just wanted to sit down and you do that? I'm just trying to get this done. I'm trying to enjoy this, but I can't because of that. Or I can't believe you made me look like that in front of your friends. I can't believe you made me look like that in front of your teacher. I can't believe you made me look like that in front of the people at church. See, when those things happen, we become defensive, and if we're not careful, we provoke. And if left unchecked, we provoke our kids as a means of protecting ourselves instead of loving our kids. Now, some of us as parents, I would say even all of us as parents, that we naturally default into the way that we were parented. Right? That, that maybe not always, but that some of us, we, we parent like this because this is what was modeled for us. And I, I don't want to minimize that, that some of us had really bad parents, that, and I can't even begin to fathom the depths of the pain and the hurt that are there. Many of us, though, I'm convinced, had parents who were doing the best they could. Something I have learned over 10 years as a dad is that um, parenting is constantly changing. And so as soon as I think I have it figured out, my kid gets older, right? And so i got a nine-year-old daughter, and so I should know how to parent right, an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old. But what I found out is that my seven-year-old son is completely different than my nine-year-old daughter. And my six-year-old son is completely different than my seven-year-old son. And my two-year-old daughter's the boss, and so she just does whatever she wants, right? But parenting is constantly changing. You think you have it figured out, and then there's a new wrinkle thrown into it, right? That your kid is constantly changing, but then you throw on top of that that the world is constantly changing. And so now I, my wife and I were talking about this this week, that, that we, we grew up kind of before social media became what it was today. But when I was a youth pastor, the kids that I pastored, they were kind of the experiment. Right? What was social media going to do to them? What was it going to mean for them? And so now uh, today, and this isn't a judgment on y'all, but what we, have, what we have decided is like, man, we're going to try to protect our kids from that stuff as long as possible, right? To, to keep them as long as possible. But that's a whole new animal. But what we also know is that in five years, there's going to be a new animal. Right, there's going to be a new thing that we're going to have to wrestle with, and our kids are going to be the experiment. Right, our kids are going to be the ones that we're going to have to try to figure out, well, what does wisdom uh, demand for this? And so many, many of us, though our parents weren't perfect, they were trying the best that they could. And I think one of the things that the gospel, one of the ways that the gospel shapes this is it means that we have to give our parents grace, maybe for where they didn't meet our new expectations. But what it also means is we've got to give ourselves grace for where we don't meet our own expectations. There's only been one perfect father and his name isn't Ethan. There's only been one perfect father and there's only been one perfect parent and it isn't you. Right? It's not me, it is God the Father. And so what do we do when we realize that we have provoked our children to anger? How do we, how do we handle this? Well, we very simply repent. We take that sin just like every other sin to the cross. We ask for God's forgiveness, but that's not where repentance stops. We also take it to our kids and we say, you know what? Daddy messed up. 
Daddy went too far. Daddy sinned against you. And I need you to forgive me. If you want to develop gospel sensitivity with your kids, be the chief repenter in the household. If you want to develop gospel sensitivity in your marriage, be the chief repenter. And dads, this falls on you before it falls on anyone else. It means that we've got to swallow our pride. We've got to take our pride to the cross. And so we've got to model repentance. And so we don't provoke our children to anger. Let, let me ask you this. When was the last time that you encouraged your son or your daughter for no reason? When was the last time that you told your, your son or your daughter that you were proud of them, not because they made a good grade, not because they made you look good or made you feel good. When was the last time you told them, you know what, I'm, I'm proud of you and I'm happy to be your dad or your mom just because I love you. I, my, my son plays baseball and I can't tell you how bad I want him to have a major league swing and be great at fielding ground balls. My kids are in school. I can't tell you how much I want them to make good grades and to try their best. Here's what I know. There's about a 0.0002% chance that my son's going to play Major League Baseball, but there's a 100% chance that he is going to stand before a holy God one day. And as parents, our responsibility is to prepare our kids for that before anything else. And so verse 4 has a negative command, but then it ends with a positive command. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And some of us, we hear that discipline of the Lord and we think, praise the Lord, right? That's, that's the kind of parenting I'm talking about here. But this, this discipline here isn't, it's not maybe what you think it is. This discipline is actually the, that word is the idea of guiding your children to responsible living. In other words, it's discipling your kids. Instruction here is is counsel about improper living. So it's correction is really uh, the way that we could think about it. But notice that it's not, uh, bring them up in your discipline and instruction of your wisdom. No, there's a gospel flavor to it. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is that parents, your first responsibility as a parent is to be a disciple maker of your kids. And I can't tell you how much I love Pastor Mike Corgan. I can't tell you how much I love Mary Apple. Uh, but here's what I know. There are no youth pastors or kids directors in the Bible. You know what there are? There are parents. Right? The parents are the primary disciple makers of their kids. And so we have been called as parents to disciple our children. So the question is, how do we do this? Well, we do this in the Lord. Well, what does that look like? Well, let me give you three ways. These are three ways, no matter how old your kids are, that I think will help you to raise them in the fear and instruction of the Lord. The first is to pray for your kids and pray for your parenting. Pray for your kids every single day. Pray for your kids multiple times a day. And as you pray for your kids, pray that the Lord would give you wisdom on how to parent in a strange new world. James 1 says, any of you who lacks wisdom, pray to the Lord above and he will give it to you without measure. And he'll give it to you abundantly. And so pray for your kids and pray for wisdom for your parenting. Second, prioritize gathering and worshiping with the church. Now, some of you are saying, what a shocker the pastor said it, right? Uh, this, is a little, uh, this is a little self-serving, but here's what I want you to understand. Your kids will always marginalize what you do not prioritize. 
Your kids will always marginalize what you do not prioritize. And so prioritizing gathering with the church is not prioritizing the institution, it's prioritizing the Savior. Right? This is the body of Christ. Acts tells us that the church is whom Christ died for. So that means that if you want to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, prioritize gathering with the church. And then don't just come to church. Talk about church. The bulletin that you have in your hand, the reason we give you the sermon notes is for that to be a resource. And so you can take that home and you can talk about that with your kids. When you, uh, if you have kids and kids junior or in central kids, when you walk out of there every week, you should have a piece of paper in your hand that tells you exactly what your kids talked about and questions you can ask them about. If you have a smartphone, download the Parent Q app. You can put your kids into that app. It'll tell you exactly what they talked about this week, uh, but then it'll give you other ways to follow up and it'll give you parenting hints. If you have uh, students who are in middle school or high school, Pastor Mike has small group questions for this sermon and then also for Tuesday nights. Grab those small group questions and talk them over with your kids. Be intentional. Your kids won't be discipled on accident, but they will be discipled by something. So pray for your kids, prioritize church, and then finally, and this may be the most difficult and the most uncomfortable, read the Bible with your kids. It doesn't have to be long passages. It doesn't have to be long chapters, but read the Bible with your kids more often than not. See, Paul's point in this passage is that the gospel changes everything, including your parenting, and there's freedom there. Parenting is a weighty responsibility, but it's a great privilege. The difficult thing about parenting is it was never promised to be easy. But the good news for us is that the gospel shapes parenting, the gospel shapes your family in simple but serious ways. And so I want to ask you just three questions. One, do you honor your parents? Do you honor your parents? Do you honor the memory of your parents? That's our calling as Christians is to give honor to our parents in the best and most appropriate ways that we can. The second question is this is, parents, are we making it easy for our kids to honor us? Are we making it easy for our kids to honor us? Now, that doesn't mean that we, are we lowering our standards? It's not the question. The, the question is, are we parenting in such a way that it is a joy for our kids to honor us? Are we parenting in such a way that, that we're not being harsh, but we're being loving? See, all, all of this is great. And all of this is vitally important, but all of it is impossible apart from Jesus Christ. See, it's the gospel that empowers us to live like this. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God applying his gospel to our hearts. And so we talked about it earlier that the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross in our place. He was buried in our tomb and he rose from the grave, not figuratively, but literally. And when he did, he conquered sin and he conquered death. He conquered your failures as a parent. He, he conquered your failures as, as a husband or a wife or as a son or a daughter. And so uh, if, if you want a parent... According to God's plan, well, it begins with the gospel. So if you've yet to trust Christ, then we want to invite you to do that. Here in just a minute, we're going to sing, and our Next Steps team will be down front. And as they're here, man, come, pray with them. We would love to talk with you, see how we, we might be able to help you take your next step. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I, I pray that we would be parents, that we would be children who bring honor to you as we honor one another. Lord, I pray that we would be families that are marked by the gospel. Father, I pray that we would be families that are intentional about discipleship. Father, I I pray that we would be families that look like and smell like heaven. And so, Father, give us the grace, give us the mercy to be who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.